Life podcast. We truly hope you'll be inspired and challenged today. Now, let's dive into this message with the family at Pleasant Ridge. For the month of October, we were going to be looking at uh, a few psalms, uh, selected psalms uh, that uh, having to do with uh, thankfulness and um, we're going to look here at uh, Psalm 34 here this morning, and um, as we look at this psalm, uh, one of the things that we're going to be talking about is the blessings and the goodness of God, uh, what God does in our life and how he blesses us and how he uh, works uh, in our life. So let's, uh, let's read this psalm here together. Uh, The title uh, given to this psalm that you might see in your Bible uh, is a psalm of David uh, when he changed his uh, behavior before uh, Abimelech and he pretended to be insane and uh, Abimelech drove him out uh, in front of his uh, presence there. But let's read it here together, Psalm 34. I will bless the Lord at all times, his praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul makes its boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. O magnify the Lord with me, and let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord, and he answered me and delivered me from all my fears. Those who look to him are radiant, and their faces shall never be ashamed. This poor man cried... And the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and delivers them. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Oh, fear the Lord, you his saints. For those who fear him have no lack. The younger lions suffer want and hunger. But those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. Come, O children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. What man is there who desires life and loves many days that he may see good? Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. Turn away from evil and do good. Seek peace And pursue it. The eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous, and his ears toward their cry. The face of the Lord is against those who do evil to cut off the memory of them from the earth. When the righteous cry for help, the Lord hears and delivers them out of all their troubles. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed. In spirit, many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. He keeps all his bones, not one of them is broken. Affliction will slay the wicked, and those who hate the righteous will be condemned. The Lord redeems the life of his servants. None of those who take refuge in him will be condemned. If I were to ask you how many of you 
want God's blessings and want his goodness in your life, I'm sure that that's a question that's kind of like a no-brainer, right? Duh. Of course I do. Who does it, right? We all want God's blessings. We all want his goodness uh, to be shown in our life. But answering yes to that question commits you to an often difficult way of life. Because we know God does not bless those that disregard him and his word or his commandments. God does not bless those who really only live their lives to please themselves. But rather he blesses those that fear him and walk in his commandments. Now knowing that, do you really want God's blessing on your life? That's an important question to really answer and to try to get across to see if that's really what we are desiring in our lives. David did. In spite of David's many failures recorded for us in the Bible and often sometimes very flagrant sins that David committed, um, we find David coming back again and again and again to the Lord. Uh, repenting of sin, crying out to God, forsaking his sin, and committing his life again back to following God's ways. Really, David sought God as his chief joy and his treasure. It's important that when we talk about desiring the goodness of God, that we don't forget the first part in thinking that, you know, all we want is the stuff, right? All of God's blessings. And we want all of his blessings and all of his goodness. And we forget that God himself is the blessing. And I think many times uh, we get so focused on having this, having that, being blessed with this, being blessed with that. And we forget that God himself is, should be our chief joy and our treasure. God is not just a means to having his blessings. Um, David wasn't just, as so many do, trying to milk God for his blessings and continue to live in his own selfish ends. But rather, David, I believe, saw God himself as the supreme blessing. It's whom David sought. I think he would agree with Asaph as what he said in Psalm 73, 25. Whom have I in heaven but you? And besides you, I desire nothing on earth. Besides you, God, I got it all. I don't need anything else. So in Psalm 34, David here tells us how to have the blessings and the goodness of God, and you see this coming forth as praise and thanksgiving to God. This is what I want you to take away with you today. To have the blessing and goodness of God in your life, seek the Lord, fear the Lord, and walk in his ways. Psalm 34 is what's known as an acrostic psalm. Basically, each stanza or each verse begins with a letter from the Hebrew alphabet in succession. Uh, the only one that doesn't uh, begin in that succession, the last verse, verse 22, 
uh, is a different letter, and it kind of stands out there all on its own, try to kind of make, make us, help us to see that it's there for an emphasis. And sometimes as you read an acrostic psalm, sometimes it can be hard to kind of grasp the thought of what the psalmist is saying because it's not thought for thought. It's beginning with a certain letter as uh, what the psalmist does. This psalm really can be divided up into two parts, verses 1 through 10. David says, learn from me. He's giving out his own personal testimony of what God has done in his life. And then in verses 11 through 22, David says, now, he says, I want you to see. I want you to see. Join with me. See what God has done. Take part in all of this. This psalm, if you can see in your Bibles, as the title comes out from a very embarrassing time in David's life. If you want to read the whole story yourself, you can find it in 1 Samuel chapter 21 through 23, 1 Samuel chapter 27, and also 1 Samuel chapter 29 through 30. But I'll give you a brief synopsis of what was going on here in David's life. David was running from King Saul, and he's on, he's on the move. Uh, King Saul is hunting him. He's pursuing after David. And David comes to the city of Nob with his men, and they are hungry. They haven't had anything to eat. And they come there to the priest there, uh, and they meet with Ahimelech, who is the priest. They're at the tabernacle there, and David's saying, Hey, man, do you got anything to eat? We're hungry. And Himelech says, all I got here is this consecrated bread that's in the tabernacle. You can have that. And so they get the bread out, get the butter, and I'm sure they're having a feast, right? Before David leaves, he asks Ahimelech, and he says, hey, do you got a weapon here? And Himelech says, the only thing we got here is Goliath's sword, and so David says, yeah, give it to me. I need it. I mean, remember, this guy, he's fearing for his life. He grabs Goliath's sword, and he leaves. Well, as he's there, an informant of Saul was watching this whole thing go down. And he sees it all, and he gets back to Saul. He says, hey, Saul, if you want to get David, he's up over there at Nob. If you leave right now, I'm sure you can catch him. And so David catches wind of this, and so what does David do? He goes, oh, oh man, the jig is up, I better go someplace else. So David starts fleeing again. And David now leaves Israeli territory, and he travels over into Philistine territory. And he's probably thinking, surely Saul is not stupid enough to come and pursue me over here into the Philistine territory. Now think about this. Look at the picture. Think about this. Here's David. He's running for his life. He's famished. His men are with him. And he's carrying Goliath's sword. Now this thing was huge. It was like a two-handed broadsword. Humongous thing. And he's running over to Philistine territory. And he goes there and he comes to the city of Gath. Now, if you've read your Bibles, I'm sure most of you know that the hometown of Gath was of whom? Goliath. 
So here he comes. Maybe he's got the sword. He's running with it with two hands, or maybe he's dragging it. I don't know. But he goes into town, and he's got this sword, and he's in Gath. I mean, this is the place of, of Goliath. I mean, he killed their hero. Don't you think there's people looking and going, what is this? Look at this guy. He's running into town. He's carrying Goliath's sword. That's, that's David. He's the guy. He's that guy that had that song that, that was like the top billboard charts, right? Like Saul has uh, slain his thousands, but David is tens thousands, right? I mean, this is the guy. And David runs there, and he's trying to escape. And as he gets there, he's going to meet with the king of Gath, Achish. Now, by the way, Achish... Uh, you see it here in your Bible, it talks about the word Abimelech. Use the word Abimelech. Uh, the word Abimelech is actually just a dynastic title. It was uh, used for every king of Gath, just like how every uh, king of Egypt was named Pharaoh or every uh, king of uh, Rome was named Caesar, right? You got this uh, dynastic title. And so David is going to try to flee, and he gets there in Gath, and uh, David finds out that these people know who he is, and so what does David do? He starts to act crazy. He goes over to the gates, and he starts clawing at the gates, and then he starts drooling, and some drools running down his mouth and everything, and he starts speaking crazy. And Achish comes, and he's like, okay, guys, really? And I, this is pretty funny, too, when you, when you read it, because the way that Achish kind of uh, speaks about this, he's like, do I not have enough crazy people in my kingdom already, and you bring this guy to me, right? And uh, David fools Achish, and David uh, runs away and gets out of uh, town. But then we see here, David writes this psalm, praising God for his deliverance and denouncing deception is what he says in uh, Psalms uh, 34, 13. He says, keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. So what's going on here? It seems that in reflecting back later on these, this close escape from death that David uh, was having David realized that in spite of all of his failure, God had been gracious in rescuing him anyway. True, David had been in a really tight spot, but that did not really justify his deception. Unfortunately, he continued in this pattern of deception with Achish, the king of Gath, again. You read later on in the story out of there out of 1 Samuel. Uh, that uh, he, he again runs to the country of the Philistines, fearing from his life again from Saul, and uh, he convinces Achish that uh, he's going to join in league with him and that he's been raiding Israeli villages when he really hasn't. He's been attacking other villages. And uh, Achish says, hey, why don't you live over here in the city of Ziklag? And David and his men are living there. And it gets David in such a tight jam that eventually Achish is like, hey, we're going to go into battle together against your own countrymen. Isn't that great? And David's going, uh-oh. 
And uh, as David, uh, he gets out of that, uh, that jam again, but the Amalekites, they end up attacking the city of Ziklag, uh, where David and his men were, where his wives were, where his children were, where his, his men's wives were, and their children and all their possessions. They go there, they take all of their stuff, they take their wives, they take their children, and they burn the city with fire. And uh, David and his men see all this uh, scene, and the Bible records for us and tells us that David was under so much distress, his his men were under so much distress that they talked of stoning David because they had got got them into this uh, predicament. Now that's rough. And so this is why we look at this psalm, Psalm 34, and you see what David is writing here. And you see this embarrassment of the the things that David did, what he committed, and now he's writing and he's praising God and he's thanking God for what God had done in his life. And so sometime after David recovered from all these difficult trials uh, caused by his own panic and deception, he pens here Psalm 34 for us. And he realizes that deception and evil are not the way to God's blessings and goodness in his life. So let me give you four practical lessons this morning from this psalm, okay? Here they are. Number one, having God's blessings and goodness does not mean you still won't have trials. I think this is something that that everybody, every Christian, even new believers struggle with. They believe that, hey, I've come to know uh, Christ as my Savior. I I know Christ. God is my, my Father now. And then they encounter some difficult, hard trial in their life, and they're going, what happened? Right? Uh, David, even though he believed in God, followed God, he was still under much affliction and trouble and trial in his life. I mean, think about this, right? Like, God says, hey, I've chosen you to be king over Israel. Oh, by the way, Saul's going to be running after your life trying to kill you. That's hard. But that's what was going on in David's life. Look at uh, verses 17 and 19 here. Look what he says. When the righteous cry for help, the Lord hears and delivers them out of their troubles. Many are the afflictions of the righteous. Don't be uh, surprised when you encounter afflictions and troubles. He says, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. Acts 14.22, Paul told the young converts of the churches there, Uh, that he founded, he said, through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. Peter wrote to a suffering church in 1 Peter 4.12, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal among you which comes upon you for your testing as if some strange thing were happening to you. How do trials come into our life? I believe there are three ways. Uh, One of them, sometimes it's because of sins of our own. Sometimes we do things... We act certain ways, we go a certain way, we follow certain things, and I believe that those trials and those difficulties come because we are not following God, and trials do come into our life. We see this in David's life as well. Um, in 1 Samuel 27.1, we see that because of David's own uh, 
results of what he was doing, how he was acting, how he was responding, was not honoring to God. And now there's this trial and this difficulty in his life. Later, you see it in David's own life with Bathsheba when he sinned. What did that do? Boy, that brought a lot of difficulty in his whole family, right? Even Absalom, his own son, right? A lot of problems. Uh, and then we also see in 2 Samuel 24, verses 10 through 17, that many in his kingdom die as a direct consequence of his sin in numbering the people. The important lesson is how do we respond in those times of trials, right? Oftentimes, if we're, if either we're going to be wise or we're going to be foolish. And when we're foolish, what we do is we harden our necks and we blame everybody else except us. We never take the responsibility for our own sin. But if we humble ourselves and we seek after God, right, God can use it in a great way. Second way that trials come into our life is because of the sins of others. David got into this jam with Achish and the Philistines because Saul was wrongly trying to kill him. David had done nothing to undermine Saul's authority or leadership. He had been loyal to Saul, serving him as a son. And yet Saul was jealous and he turned against David. And he was pursuing after him. Again, it's important how you respond when someone else has sinned against you in a terrible way. Perhaps, perhaps... Uh, there might be some in here that you have experienced suffering and sin as a result of another person sinning against you. Maybe your father molested you. Maybe uh, you were verbally or physically abused. Maybe you've suffered uh, the betrayal of a friend, right? But how do we respond in that? That's, that's the difference. Uh, do you recognize that if God had not been gracious to you that you would be acting just as they acted or worse. See, it's all about in our response to that. A third way that uh, we see trials come is that God is the God of second and third chances and can use our trials when we turn to him. If you look throughout all scripture, you know what you see? You see men after men and women and men after men, people that did wrong, didn't follow God, and God in his grace and his mercy, time after time, second and third chance, second and third chance, over and over and over and over again. I love that verse out of uh, Romans where it says, where sin abounded, what? Grace did much more abound, right? Now, that's not the idea of thinking, well, I'm just going to sin so I can get more grace. No, okay, that's wrong, right? But that's, that's our God, right? Our God is a, is a gracious and loving God. And so he uses uh, these things in our lives for his holy purposes. Um, and it helps us in all of that. So here's the second thing. God's goodness is clear when we are driven to the end of ourselves to seek after him. Now, this is the whole point of this psalm. David wants us to see what he went through and now tells us how we can experience God's blessing and his goodness by seeking after the Lord. Now, there's four points I think we can draw from the testimony in David's life. Number one, we must be broken-hearted and contrite over our sin. The word contrite means to be sorrowful. What does that mean to be broken-hearted and contrite? Well, John Bunyan, 
who was a Puritan preacher, uh, also the great-great-grandfather of Paul Bunyan. You know the Max Singer? No, okay. Um, Paul Bunyan wrote a wonderful book. If you haven't read it yet, it's uh, Pilgrim's Progress. You need to read it. It's an awesome book. Um, this is what he had to say about uh, being brokenhearted and contrite. He said, to have your heart broken means to have it lamed, disabled, and taken off by sense of God's wrath due to sin from that course of life it formerly was conv- conversant in. As for a contrite spirit, it is a penitent one, one sorely grieved and deeply sorrowful for the sins that is committed against God and to the damage of the soul. Are we sickened and broken over our sin? I mean, think about it, right? Are we sickened and broken over our own sin? When, when we come, come before God, are, are, we, are we coming before God honest, open, and broken over our sin? David was. And he's saying, if you really want to see the blessings and the goodness of God in your life, you need to be broken and contrite over your sin. Listen how David describes this for us. Verse 2, my soul makes its boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. He's boasting, but not in himself. What is he boasting in? He's boasting in the Lord, which means that he recognizes that he is the object of God's undeserved favor. And as a result, what is he doing? He, the humble, those who also recognize that they are recipients of grace, will what? Will rejoice with him as he tells of God's deliverance. And David concludes this in verse 18. He says, the Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. David further helps us understand what it means to be brokenhearted. Listen to what he says in verse 6. This poor man cried, and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all of his troubles. He makes this observation that being brokenhearted is being poor. Now, not in the sense of not having money, but in poor in spirit. Sound familiar? Our Lord Jesus taught Matthew 5, verses 3 through 4, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Poor in what? Poor in spirit. Mourning over what? Mourning over our sin before God. After David sinned with Bathsheba and having Uriah, her husband, killed in battle, David said in Psalm 51, 17, The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. Isaiah also writes about a broken and contrite heart in Psalm 57, 15, or Isaiah 57, 15. For thus says the high and exalted one who lives forever, whose name is holy, I dwell on a high and holy place and also with the contrite and lowly of spirit in order to revive the spirit of the lowly and to revive the heart of the contrite. And so if we desire to see praise uh, and praise God for his blessings and his goodness, the path to that is always through a broken and contrite heart before the Lord. Here's the second thing. 
In our brokenness, we should seek the Lord for refuge and deliverance. Look again at verse six. This poor man cried and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all of his troubles. Remember, this is David's own testimony. He's giving his own testimony and he's saying, listen, listen what has happened in my life. I want you to learn from me. And he recognized that he needed the Lord to deliver him. David had found refuge in the Lord. Have you found refuge in Christ yet? Have you found refuge in the Lord yet? He's the only one. There is nobody else that, can, that we can run to except the Lord God. Perhaps there might be someone here today that you are still trying to solve the problems yourself. It will never work. Never. You have to find refuge in the Lord. Look at verse number eight. He says, oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Here's the third thing. Fearing God is good for us. You see, we never come to experience his salvation and deliverance until we fear him. That is so important. David feared Saul and he feared the Philistines, but he testifies, look in verse number four, I sought the Lord and he answered me and delivered me from all my fears. He was fearing Saul, he was fearing the Philistines, he was fearing for his own life, but he says, hey, I sought the Lord, he delivered me from all my fears. Also look at verse number seven, the angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and delivers them. Further, he states in verse number nine, oh, fear the Lord, you his saints, for those who fear him have no lack. And finally, in verse number 11, he says, come, oh children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. What is the fear of the Lord? Is it, ah, ah, ah? No. I do believe that if God were to show up right now, we would be on our faces, right? But having a fear before God is having an awe, reverence, respect for who he is. I'll tell you what, there is nothing more that will put a healthy fear in you than having a dad who is going to make sure that you're going to do what you're supposed to be doing, right? <laughs> but here is our God. Do we fear him? Or do we just take his commandments as a, eh, eh. If we fear him, we will obey him. Here's the fourth thing about this, obey God. Throughout this psalm, there's an emphasis on being righteous, which means to obey the Lord. David addresses his readers as saints or as holy ones, you might see in your uh, translation. Notice these verses here. Turn away from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. That's what he says. Then he assures us, the eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous and his ears toward their cry. Now notice how he contrasts these statements with verses 16 and verse 21. Verse 16, the face of the Lord is against those who do evil to cut off the memory of them from the earth. In verse 21, affliction will slay the wicked and those who hate the righteous will be condemned. So either God's eyes are towards us favorably 
because we obey him or his face is against us because we disobey him. If we desire to see God's blessing and goodness and praise him for it, we must obey God. Now, all of that's David's personal testimony in his life and his instruction of how to have the blessing and goodness of God in our lives. Now, let's make some application here. Thirdly, share God's blessing and goodness with others and invite them to join you. Remember, David's giving his own personal testimony. He says, look, this is what's happened. This is what God has done in my life. I had an embarrassing situation. I was fleeing from my life. I was running over to the Philistines. God deliver me from all of that. Now he says, I want you to join in with me and take part of what the blessings can be for your life. He says, I've received God's blessings. You can too. Look at verse 3. Oh, magnify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. The young lions suffer want and hunger, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. Come, O children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. What man is there who desires life and loves many days that he may see good? In other words, don't just look on wishing that my blessings were yours. David says, I want you to taste and see the goodness of the Lord. And David is inviting them, and he's, te- and he's wanting his readers to listen as he teaches them about the truly good life. Praise is best when it's shared. When my wife and I first moved here, we were coming up uh, uh, 20. We were coming, we would make the trips back and forth from Angola. Uh, as we, we'd come through Angola up there, you know, when we were coming back from Ohio. And we'd come up through 20, and we'd always stop uh, over there at, um, help me out, Jame, I can't remember the name. Rise and Roll, thank you, all right. So we'd always stop at Rise and Roll, okay. We'd stop over there. That's about the time uh, our daughter would be waking up from her nap. Uh, so we'd make a little stop, get a, grab a little lunch, go on our way. And as we continued on 20, this form of this building would start to make itself known as you crest over a hill and you see all these buildings and then you see this really nice manicured lawn with the word Essenhaus. Right? You're going, wow, what is that? Right? Then you pass that building several times. You go, let's go try the Essen House. And so we go over there and we take part in the ritual of eating. And boy, that's good stuff. It's great. And then they come by and they say, hey, do you want a piece of pie? Oh, my word. Wow. They give you a piece of pie. Now, there are two things I'm sure that is going to be in heaven. It's going to be God's redeemed people and Essen House pie, okay? It's there. I know it's there, okay? And so you taste that pie, and boy, it's just so delicious, so great. They have so many flavors to choose from. Uh, I'm a a strawberry man myself, uh, but you can't always get it in season. Uh, But there are several other 
delicious pies that are available. And, you know, when you, when you get that pie, there's just, there's just something about it. You know, you just, you feel so special. You know, they, they make you feel so special. And so they deliver this delicious pie to you, and, it, man, it's great. Now, this is peanut butter pie. <laughs> now, is there anybody in here that doesn't like peanut butter pie? You need to get saved, okay? <laughs> okay? But, man, it is delicious. It's great. It's wonderful. I mean, this is awesome. Now, David says, he says, I want you to experience and taste what God has done in my life. He says, God has, has done something miraculous in my life. He says, learn from me. He's given his own personal testimony. And he says, now I want you to taste and see. We take that peanut butter pie, and we cut it up, man. This is some delicious, delicious stuff. Let's see if I can scoop it out here. Oh, yeah. You know, I can look at this peanut butter pie and I can say, man, that looks good. Wow, I believe that that probably tastes good. I believe that that pie is delicious. In fact, if I probably eat the whole thing, I'm going to go into a diabetic coma. <laughs> but I will not know how good this pie is until I actually take a bite. That's good. That is really good. Reba, you want some pie? Do you not like peanut butter? Now, I could, go, I could go, and I could take another slice of this peanut butter pie. I could cut it up, and you could see everything I'm doing. And I could come, and I could say, John, you got to try this pie. And John could reckon with me, and he could say, boy, that looks like good pie. That's good. Man, that looks delicious. That looks wonderful. I would surely love to enjoy that pie. And I could give it to him. But until John actually tastes it and puts it in his mouth, he's not going to know exactly how good it really is. You can share it. <laughs> now make the connection here, okay? We give praise to our God for what he's done. Praise is best when it's shared with others. And so if God has brought you to a place of brokenness over your own sin, you will not really understand the grace and the mercy of God and be able to share that with others. David says, oh, taste and see the goodness of God. Are you sharing that with others? Are you sharing what God has done in your life with others? Are you sharing the goodness of God's blessing in your life? 
You see, we won't experience God's goodness and his blessing until we follow his ways and obey what he has done. Here's the last thing. One day, we will experience the fullness of God's blessing and goodness. And if you read this psalm, this is really interesting. He says, many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. He keeps all of his bones, not one of them is broken. Affliction will slay the wicked, and those who hate the righteous will be condemned. The Lord redeems the life of his servants. None of those who take refuge in him will be condemned. The psalm states that God delivers the righteous from all of his afflictions. Interesting to note that that verse, verse 20 there, he keeps all of his bones, not one of them is broken, is a verse that is cited by John in John 19.36, applying to Jesus not having his legs broken on the cross. Yet Jesus was not delivered, was he? He died. And in our lives, there are going to be times that we are going to come under intense affliction and trouble and trial. And we may cry out to God, and yet we will not be delivered in this life. We have to stop thinking that it's all just about this life here. We seek a better country, a heavenly country. And when Christ comes back, he is going to right every wrong. He's going to make sure everything is correct. He's going to bring about the right judgment for every wrong deed that has ever been done. And so we need to have our eyes fixed on Christ, be looking forward to him. And so these last verses find their ultimate fulfillment beyond death, when God will finally justify his servants and condemn the wicked. And notice there's only two, two options here. He says, those who hate the righteous will be condemned. The Lord redeems the life of his servants. None of those who take refuge in him will be condemned. The word there, condemned, means to bear one's guilt. Either you will bear your own guilt before God, and you will suffer a life of separation from God forever in the lake of fire, or you have trusted in Christ who bore your guilt, who took your penalty on the cross, and you're taking refuge in him. And so if you don't know Christ, I encourage you to turn to him, to follow him. If you are a believer in Jesus, let's keep our eyes focused on Jesus. Let's praise him and thank him for what he's done in our life, and let's share that with others. Let's pray. If you're interested in more information about our church or knowing the peace that Jesus gives, visit our website at lifeattheridge.church.